Welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast where somebody's got to say it. So we have a whole bunch of changes taking place on the Bible Thumper podcast. Uh, The first thing everybody should know is that we are starting up again. So Caleb is going to join me as my regular co-host on the first Sunday of every month. And our first day back, Caleb and I are going to be uh, getting together on Sunday And that's going to be April 3rd, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central. So you're going to want to join us for that. We already put up a little event on our Facebook page. You can find us on Facebook at Bible Thumper. And we're going to be talking about what commandments should we follow. You can find our podcast now on almost every platform that's out there. You can find us on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher and Audible and Blueberry and TuneIn Radio. So go to wherever you like to find your podcasts and look us up, download us, and please follow us. Uh, We need as many downloads and people following us as humanly possible. With that, we're going to jump in for tonight. So uh, you can leave comments as we are going through this uh, little bit here, and I can see them and respond to them. We're going to go over Mark chapter 1, and I am currently reading through Mark chapter 1 with my kids in the morning, so I'm doing little to no prep work. This is just a chance to study the Bible and go through a book, a chapter at a time. I'm going to try to do this Oh, as often as I can through the week, uh, just to keep content getting up on here. And then we're going to see, you know, how many people tune in, but we'll put this up on the podcast platforms as well. So let's jump in. If you have your Bible, we use the King James Bible on this podcast. So if you have one of those, or if you can get one on your phone, you'll be able to follow along just fine with me. So let's jump in. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Right out of the gate, in verse number 2, we see that uh, Mark, the author here, is quoting from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And then in verse 3, we see that Mark is quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3. And these are two prophecies that told us about when the Messiah comes, there is going to be someone that goes before the Messiah, and he is going to proclaim to the world, get ready, here comes the guy. Now, why is this important? The question I have to ask you is how long were the Jews waiting for the Messiah? And it's a pretty broad question, and we could really say thousands of years. The first messianic prophecy to come was all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. We're not going to turn there right now because it'll be it's already going to be too easy to get off in the weed. So I don't think we need to, to do that just yet. Then we have more messianic prophecies when Abraham shows up in Genesis chapters 12 and 15 and 18 when God's telling him he's the chosen guy, there's going to be a nation uh, that's going to come from him. And then we find out later that uh, Jesus is going to, the Messiah is going to come from the line of the tribe of Judah, which is where King David comes from. So all along, 
the Jews have been waiting for their Messiah to come. They've been waiting for the chosen one, for God to show up. And they've been waiting for thousands of years. The problem is they've been waiting for thousands of years. So there's been lots of times where they're wondering, oh, is this the guy? Is this him? Or is he just a prophet? So God threw in to the prophets this idea that before the Messiah comes, there's going to be a guy that's going to prepare the way. So everyone's going to be getting ready to hear about this Messiah that's coming. And this guy is going to say, hey, now's the time. Okay, he is coming now. Get ready because he's going to show up in my lifetime. So, you know, get ready. That's what John the Baptist was doing. And there's evidence that we find in the book of Mark and in the other Gospels that John didn't even know that he was the one fulfilling this prophecy because John himself, when he was in prison, sent some of his disciples to Jesus and said, go ask Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? By the way, I'm suffering from a little bit of a head cold, so please forgive me. I sound stuffed up. I'm probably going to be sniffling and coughing more than even normal, which I know is just totally obnoxious on a radio or a podcast, but understand that's kind of where I'm at, and I don't know what else to tell you. So in verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So we read about John and this baptism of repentance, and we see that all these people were going out to John. Now, a couple things we want to notice here. Number one, what does this word repentance mean? Because it is one of the most poorly defined terms in the New Testament that confuses so many people when we're talking about salvation. The word repentance is talking about a change. So when a person is lost, what are they counting on to get them to heaven? Maybe they're counting on a false god. Maybe they're counting on their good works. Maybe they're counting on giving money to church. They're counting on something that is not the redemptive work of Jesus dying on the cross. So they are counting on, they have put their faith into something that is not going to work. It is not going to get them to heaven. They are not saved. Upon salvation, they change their mind. They no longer believe in this thing that is not going to work. They now put all their faith in this new thing, which is Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Jesus died, he bled on the cross, and that work is what forgives us of our sins. Upon salvation, everybody repents because what we're doing, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, we are calling on the Lord Jesus for salvation. You got to remember that prior to calling on the Lord Jesus for salvation, we were counting on something. We might have been counting on our good works. We might have counted on I'm just an American or some other false pagan God. Whatever it was, we might not even be aware of what we were counting on. But friend, believe me, we were hoping we were going to get to heaven. We just didn't know how it was going to happen. And we certainly were not going to get there because we did not put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. So when we get saved, that is the process of repentance. We change our mind. We no longer believe in these dead works that will not get us to heaven. We now put our faith and trust into one work, 
Not one we did, but one that Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross. That is repentance. We're changing our mind. I often explain it like this. If you've ever seen a roulette table, you can put chips on all these different numbers all over the roulette table. And in the same way, that's the idea of where, what are we putting our faith in to get us to heaven? We might be putting our faith in this or this thing over here or that over there. And when we get saved, we take all of our chips and we move them all over to the square that says Jesus. That's the only thing we are counting on to get us to heaven. That is repentance. We're no longer counting on anything else. We're only counting on Jesus. Okay, so that was a lot for one verse, but I think it was worth it. Now, the next thing we want to notice is in verse 5, there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I, after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And we'll get into Jesus's baptism in just a moment. Thank you folks for joining in. It's nice to see that we have several viewers here. Don't forget, you can comment or ask questions, and I'll get to them during this live video. So John was baptizing folks in the Jordan River, and there were a lot of people that were coming out. In the other Gospels, we notice that it was not only John that was baptizing at that time. There were lots of people getting baptized, and it talks about how basically the whole nation of Israel was coming out to get baptized. With all of those people there baptizing, you know, so many folks, Jesus says that he must get baptized by one guy. He has to get baptized by John the Baptist. And the reason for that is that John was a prophet of God. John was preaching what Jesus believed in. Now, I know that sounds kind of funny because they're saying, well, you know, Jesus believed in John's doctrine? Yes, because John was preaching the doctrine that God had given him. So John was a faithful prophet, and Jesus wanted to get baptized by John, and only John, because Jesus was in a line with the doctrine of John the Baptist. So that's why Jesus got baptized of John the Baptist. Now, in verse 10, and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When we see the baptism of Jesus, and this is going to be funny for some of you that have joined us in the past. We see that when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. Well, what does that mean? That means he was down in the water. Why do we baptize by immersion? Because that's the way Jesus was baptized. Jesus was under the water and he came up out of the water. That's the reason we do it. Does sprinkling count? No, it doesn't count. That's not baptism. When we read in the book of Romans, it says that the death, burial, and resurrection is what baptism represents. The death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection, in the same manner, 
Okay, we are baptized onto death, and just like Jesus raised from the dead, we are raised in newness of life. Baptism is a representation of what happened to Jesus uh, in, in, the, in the explanation of the gospel, that he died, and then three days later he rose again. So obviously, sprinkling someone that is not baptism, nowhere in the Bible does it say that that is acceptable, and it doesn't even paint a picture that God wanted to paint. It doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, so no, uh, sprinkling does not count. Now, keep in mind, here at Bible Thumper, where somebody's got to say it, we're not here to make friends. We are here to tell you what the Bible says, and if you disagree with that, that's okay. Okay, We just want to get you in the Bible and reading the Bible and studying the Bible, and if you really don't like what I say, go back to the Bible and study it and see if I'm wrong, and if I ever am, I'll be happy to apologize and change that live on the air. You're just not going to find it too often because I do take studying the Bible pretty seriously, and when I don't know something, you're going to hear me say, I just don't know what that means, and we're going to move on. So that's an easy way to not get yourself in too much trouble. Verse 12, and immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted of Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him. Now, in the book of Matthew, it goes into a lot of detail on the specific temptations of Satan on Jesus. And it's very interesting and there's a great story there, but we're not going to get into it since we're reading through the book of Mark. Suffice it to say, Jesus was tempted. He did not fail any of these temptations and the angels ministered onto him. And now we're going to see uh, when Jesus gets back to it, what's going on. Verse 14. Now, after that, John was put into prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Notice that he was preaching. So we use that term as a verb and as a noun. If Jesus was preaching, that made him a preacher and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Oh boy, repent and believe the gospel. Well, what on earth is the gospel? I'm glad you asked. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll take a look at this. And this is where uh, we get the gospel defined very clearly for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Did you see that, friends? We are saved by the gospel. Verse 2, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now, I'm just going to mention right there that Paul was a preacher as well. He did the preaching. And here we read the gospel in verses 3 and 4. It's very clearly defined. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And it, go on, it goes on and it gives us a few more details, which we'll take a look at, verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. So it talks about how Jesus was he died on the cross according to the scriptures he was buried and then he rose again according to the scriptures and that is the gospel the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ and by the way if you don't believe 
that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you don't believe that he was buried and three days later he rose again, I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to go ahead and put it on record. You cannot be saved. For only God has power over death, and it is important that we understand and we believe that Jesus is God. Keep in mind the Romans crucified people every day. None of those crucifixions was sufficient uh, sufficient enough of a sacrifice for your sins to be forgiven. The only way that it works is if God took the penalty for your sins, and Jesus did that on the cross about 2,000 years ago. Now, let's get back to Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Now, I don't know what that was like, but it's impressive to me to think that a guy could have said that little and they gave up their livelihood and decided to follow this guy for the next three years. Now, keep in mind, they might not have been making that commitment right at the point, but they were certainly interested in who this guy was, so they decided to stop working for the day and at least follow him for a little while. Verse 19, and when he had gone a little further, thence he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught." Now, this is an interesting one, and I've made mention of this several times at our church. For those of you that might be new, my name is Patrick Hayes. I'm the pastor of the Church of Grace here in Grand Junction, Colorado. We're a small independent Baptist church that meets out of my home, and we meet every Friday night. So if you are in the area and would like to join us, uh, we'd be happy uh, to have you come by. But I mention this a lot. Why was Jesus able to go into the synagogue on a Saturday and preach to everybody? Because you got to remember, if I just walked into any random church on a Sunday, it's not like they would say, oh, good, Patrick's here. Come on up. Give us a message. Well, it was a custom of the Jews at the time that whenever there was a guest who was passing through, on the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, when the Jews were in the synagogue, they would invite that stranger to come and read from the portion of Scripture to the synagogue and expound upon it. So the way synagogues were set up is that every, uh, every man uh, with a family would take turns and they would each read a portion of the scripture each Saturday, and they would expound on it. And this was done on a schedule, and you can find the schedule. They still do the same schedule today that they did back then. And they read portions of the scripture, and that way you always knew what portion of the scripture was coming up. So when it was your turn, you knew what it was going to be on, and you would take your turn, and you would read the scripture and expound on it. It was kind of a way to share the burden of teaching the Bible to everybody. 
So Jesus, when he was going around and preaching, he would go to temples on, I'm sorry, he would go to the synagogues every Saturday, which was his custom, the same way Paul did in the book of Acts, and they would invite him in and he was able to get up and teach. So that's why Jesus went to a different synagogue every Saturday and they just invited him, oh, we got a guest, would you be so kind as to come up and, and share the scriptures with us? And when you read through the book of Acts, you find that Paul did this everywhere he went, and it was really neat that that was their custom because it gave those guys an opportunity to teach the Bible to the whole world. They went around the world, and every synagogue they went to on the Sabbath day, they were invited in, and they, they got to teach. So let's see where we were. Uh, verse 22, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Do you know that that is a reason that people will come around and want to stick with a certain preacher? Because he preaches with authority? And this is no magic. This is no secret. This is just simply a man that is willing to say, thus saith the Lord. If it's written in the Bible, then it's true. And anything outside of what it says is wrong. Okay, we cannot go against this book. This book has everything that we need for our faith and practice. And that, that's the end of it. If the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. There's not enough preachers that take that stand anymore. And because of that, there are not enough preachers that teach with authority. And that's why when you come upon a preacher that does teach with authority, it is refreshing to the Christian that loves God and the Bible. Jesus taught as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Did you notice that? The scribes didn't teach as one that had authority. So uh, Mark throws the scribes under the bus right there in front of God and everybody. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, O Holy One of God. Now, you notice that there are pronouns used, and those pronouns are us, we, and us again. And Jesus is being confronted by an individual, by one man. So there are multiple uh, demons or evil spirits or unclean spirits in this man. And we find that to be the case several times through the Gospels. And in verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. Verse 27, And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Now, we know that Jesus is God. They did not know that at the time. But that's the, the Jesus didn't teach as one that had authority. Jesus did not cast out unclean spirits as one who had authority. He had authority. He wasn't a guy <clears throat> that preached like one with authority. Jesus was the authority. So all the unclean spirits listened to him. Verse 28, and immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Now, I wouldn't doubt that. I completely believe that if Jesus were to do that, or if any of us were to do that, you know, at any church service, I think word would get around pretty quick. Verse 29, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, 
they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So they went into Peter's house, uh, five of them, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and Jesus. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. So they told Jesus about his mother-in-law. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. What a sweetheart. Now, I don't want to hear a word about mother-in-laws or any mother-in-law jokes. They're not funny. My wife has a wonderful mother-in-law. But one thing you'll notice is that Peter was married, he had a wife, and therefore he had a mother-in-law. So don't ever believe the doctrine that Peter didn't was not married. Uh, that'll get passed around in certain churches, and that is nonsense. So let's see verse 32. Let's pick it up there. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. Now, no kidding. After he healed the first person, you would think that the folks would just be lining up pretty quick with anyone that was sick or lame or crippled or had any type of disability. They would want to bring him to Jesus while he was in town. Verse 34, and he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Now, we're not going to get into a full-on lesson about angels and demons or demonology, but one thing you need to do, and th this is, I'm, I'm just going to make this point, and I'll probably make it many times. If you want to be a serious student of the Bible, that's wonderful. Here's the first thing you need to do. Get yourself either a notepad, a notebook, or a laptop. And I did this with a computer so many years ago. And whenever I would find interesting little tidbits about a subject, I would open a Microsoft Word document and I would title it Demons. And then every time I learned or I read about stories of demons, I would put those verses in that Word document and I'd save it. I'd compile all the verses about demons that I'd find in the Bible. And then I would start going through them and reading those chapters, and I would start to pull out the facts. Now, one thing that is interesting that is a fact here is Jesus suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. They knew who Jesus was. All the people there were figuring it out, and they were making their decision whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. Every one of those unclean spirits and devils and demons that were possessing these people, every single one of them knew that Jesus was God. They knew that. It wasn't a question. They weren't wondering. They knew it. And we're not going to get off into the weeds and, and tell you why. We'll go over that a little later. There are a few more stories about it in the book of Mark and the chapters ahead. Verse 35, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. So Jesus, the next day, prayed. Two things we notice. So if you are going to do this little suggestion that I made as far as compiling scripture on different subjects, you can take that verse that we just read, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, and you can throw it into that document entitled Prayer. So two things we notice about when Jesus prayed, because after all, what do we want to do? Well, we want to be more like Jesus as much as we can. We have this wonderful example of God who came down to earth and lived a human life for about 35 years, and we want to 
mimic Jesus. We want to emulate Jesus. We want to follow Jesus and do what Jesus did. Well, a couple things we notice. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, so Jesus got up before the sun rose, he departed into a solitary place and there prayed. You can take that for what it's worth. I take that as more than just a suggestion. When Jesus prayed, he got up before sunrise, got by himself, and that's where he prayed. And that's the way that we should do it. If you don't want to do it that way, that's fine, but you should find Bible verses to support the way you do it. Whatever we do, we don't want to do it the way we want to do it. That's wrong. That's a bad way to do it. Find a reason in the Bible to do it a certain way. Whether we're talking about praying or reading our Bible or giving the gospel or whatever we're doing, find verses in the Bible. Okay, don't just do it however we want. We don't want to be flipping about this whole thing. We want to do it the way God did it. Okay, verse 36. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. So Jesus is saying the whole reason I came here was to preach. Verse 39, and he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. A couple things that are interesting. Again, in verse 39, we see that Jesus is preaching. And we also see that when the leprous man came to Jesus, he told Jesus flat out, Jesus, it's up to you. I know you can do it. If you will, I'm going to be clean. Then Jesus was what? He was moved with compassion. Now, the long, fancy term for this is anthropomorphism. You can look that up if you like, but it's giving human characteristics to God. In the case of Jesus, it's different, though. We can anthropomorphize God the Father, but Jesus actually was human. On purpose, Jesus set aside certain parts of his deity so that he could be human and be tempted in all the ways we were. Now you say, Patrick, I don't believe that. Jesus didn't set aside any parts of his deity in order to be the Messiah. Yes, he did. The Bible tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in the book of Luke. We find out that Jesus was tired, he was hungry, he was sad, he was angry, he was moved with compassion. These only work if we are not God who is omnipotent. The idea that we already know everything. Jesus was moved with compassion. Now, if you want to debate the larger point that I'm making, again, that's fine. You don't have to agree with me. We don't have to agree on every point, but let's try to study the Bible together and, and see what we can learn. In verse 42, and as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightway, or sorry, and he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away. And saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, 
but was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. And that is Mark chapter 1. So a couple things to notice is that Jesus told this leprous man two things. Number one, don't tell everybody what I just did. Number two, I want you to go onto the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded you to do out of the law for this healing. It's interesting that we find out that all through the Gospels, Jesus tells everybody that he runs into who is Jewish to obey the law. He does that because, and some folks aren't going to like this either, the Gospels are part of the Old Testament. You say, what? Yep, the Gospels are part of the Old Testament. Uh, we're not going to get into that yet, but if you follow us uh, and you uh, join us again on April the 4th, which is a Sunday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central, we're going to go over and talk about the commandments and the Old and the New Testament and talk about how they work. But one thing that is often misunderstood is when the Old Testament stops and when the New Testament starts, the Bible actually defines it. And you can look that up on your own and, and see if you can figure that out. If not, you can get a hold of me and we can talk more about it. But Jesus told him to go and be obedient to the law that he was still under. Now, the guy didn't do that. Instead, he ran around and told everybody about the great news, and I understand why he did that. I would probably do the same thing because I used to be a leper, and now I'm clean, and that would have been amazing. So with that, I just want to remind everyone to please uh, get on whatever app or website you listen to podcasts on and follow our podcast. You can find us on Google Podcasts, on Apple podcast. You can find us on Spotify or Stitcher or Audible or Blueberry or Intune uh, rate or sorry, tune in radio. Uh, please follow us on all of those. Not only follow us, but hit that little bell symbol. So you get a notification whenever a new podcast comes up. You can also, if you're listening to us on a podcast, find us on Facebook. Uh, on Facebook, I think it is a hashtag Bible Thumper sixteen eleven, or you can just search for the Bible Thumper Facebook page. And finally, you can find us on Patreon. So if you have a desire, you enjoy these uh, podcasts and videos we do, and you want to support us, please get on Patreon and decide to donate to what we do just to help to pay for all the stuff. Believe it or not, there's a cost to keep a podcast and a live video ministry going. It's not great, but it would be nice if one day we could actually break even. Thank you everybody very much for uh, joining us tonight. Last thing, if you have a suggestion, if you have an idea of what you want us to talk about on one of our podcasts, please get on Facebook, share that in the comments, or you can email me at BibleThumperPodcast at gmail.com and just tell me what you would like us to talk about. Any subject in the Bible we're happy to get into. Nothing is off limits because this is Bible Thumper where somebody's got to say it.